Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one someday, Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they've helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined by Rahul Chatajed, and I think I just butchered it again after you just told me, so I'll have you correct me in a second. But Rahul's a second-time guest, and he is the first vice president and senior director at Matthews Real Estate Investment Services. He leads their kind of healthcare division, talks to lots of veterinarians all the time, and is focused on real estate. So we're going to chat more about real estate here in a second. And he and the team work all over the country, have a lot of different various clientele, extremely active in vet med and want to really dive into the real estate side of veterinary medicine because there's been some updates. It's been about two years since we chatted. He came on the show for number 77, but Rahul, thank you for coming back. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me again. I'm excited. Yeah. Outside of uh, not being able to pronounce your name, which I apologize and I'm the worst at, I appreciate the time. It was great to see you at VMX and, yeah. and be able to, to chat in person. And I guess let's just jump right into it. Rates have risen. Right. So it's wild to see the fastest rate hiking cycle in the history kind of of, I guess, recorded history in the U.S. at least. It's put pressure on a lot of asset classes. There's obviously things in the news, right, with things going on out in oh, kind of your way, right, in California with the various different banks. 
how's it impacting veterinary medicine and, and real estate? And then what have you seen from the other kind of medical verticals that you cover as well? Sure. Yeah, good question. So the Silicon Valley Bank thing was a quite a debacle, pretty fresh right now. I think it's obviously too soon to tell how that's going to impact veterinary real estate or healthcare real estate or just generally the real estate market. The good news is, and again, it still might be premature, but it looks like the contagion was contained with obviously SVB being backstopped and then some of these other regional banks kind of recovering today in the stock market. But the rise in interest rates has definitely impacted the real estate market, just simply put, if it costs more to borrow money to buy an asset, well, that asset is going to have to deliver you a higher return. And many times these assets, they're fixed income assets, right? So if you buy a deal, a vet deal, a dental deal, whatever it is, there's a set lease in place with a set rental rate. So that rental rate can't change. The only thing you could do to justify buying that deal is paying a lower price for that fixed income, right? And so that's the first order effect is as it gets more costly to borrow, you're just not going to be able to pay more money. And you're coming out of a historic bull market where I think the number was $8 trillion was printed and injected in the economy. And there was just a lot of artificial demand pumping the entire market, specifically net lease real estate. And the pullback that you're seeing now is just first because of the quantitative tightening. You're having just less money in the system. And then because it's getting more costly to borrow, a lot of that demand is coming down. So the second order effect is because there's just so much now supply on the market, right? And less and less buyers for that supply, you're just seeing a supply demand mismatch and imbalance. And so generally what you've seen is for the core assets, stuff with long-term leases, really well located, you're still finding some private buyers some 1031 exchange buyers will, that'll buy that product. But I would say pricing is shifted by a minimum of 50 to 75 basis points. But then for some of the stuff that's maybe a little more quote unquote secondary or tertiary, or maybe that has a shorter lease term with a weaker credit rating, uh, or credit profile, you're seeing pricing cap rates widen as much as 150 to 200 basis points. So it is a little bit nuanced based off of the product type that you're looking at and the specific asset that you're looking at. But generally across the board, things have shifted and we'll see what happens with the CPI print today. I think a couple things broke with Signature Bank and Silicon Valley, but I think the general consensus still is that beating inflation is the number one priority. And so, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but I tend to believe that interest rates are going to stay higher for longer. So let's see what happens. Interesting. Bold claim, right? I think that's the multi-trillion dollar question is where do interest rates go? And no one seems to know. And it's like you have really, really smart people that can make a hell of a case for why one makes sense and the other one doesn't. I think taking your approach of it's higher for longer is better, right? Like if it's higher for longer and then they go down, that's a good thing if I'm the real estate investor and I can go refinance that debt. But you want to make sure that when you underwrite those deals, that you can make it pencil in and it work at current rates. So same way for any client that's looking at buying a home and mortgage rates. And like I keep hearing like, well, when mortgage rates go back down, I don't know if they're going to go back down. I don't want you to get your hope up. But it's the same thing there too, right? The asset price itself has to come down. And a lot of the residential real estate just hasn't repriced in a way that makes sense. Other thing real quick, basis points. So we both know that there might be a lot of people that don't necessarily know basis points, 100 basis points, 1%, 75 basis points, uh, three quarters of a percent. So just kind of highlighting that. What have you seen from conversations recently that have been impactful? So when you're talking to veterinarians, I mean, obviously the corporate side of things is slowed down a little bit and those multiples have come down. But I mean, is the appetite still there from the ability for those that are selling to then still extend long-term leases with corporate entities? Are they still wanting that? Are they wanting to buy the real estate? Is it changing? Any updates there? 
Yeah, so it's a good question. I mean, the good news is if you look at this from just a 20-year, 15-year time horizon, long-term, even pre-pandemic, if you look at where the multiples are at right now, they're still doing much better than they were in 2016, 2017, right? Like at VMX, I was at WVC too, and I was talking to a lot of practice brokers we're tied in with. And they were telling me, I mean, you're still getting eight to 13 times EBITDA for some of these practices. Now, obviously it's not what you were seeing in the heyday a couple of years ago, where it was like 20, 22. I spoke to a practice broker who told me he sold a deal at 27 times adjusted EBITDA during the peak. And so obviously things have come down, but if you look at it from a long-term landscape, it's you're still doing much better than pre-pandemic levels. And I would say that translates into real estate too. So it might not be that you're able to get a five and a half cap now for your 15 year NBA, right? But maybe it's a six and a quarter or six and a half. Again, these are just arbitrary numbers. So even though the cap rates have widened, you still have to look at it based off of where things have historically been. And so for example, if you have a long-term lease with an NBA or a VCA or whoever it is, some of these larger multi-unit operators with really good credit, it used to be that maybe you could get in the low to mid five caps for a price, right? For your exit price when you sell a building. And even though cap rates have widened and it might look like, oh my God, things have come down by 10, 15, 20% based off of the height, you still have to look at it based off of where things have generally been. And so what I would say is a lot of these veterinarians, maybe they built their practice for, or or built their building for 200 bucks a foot, $250 a square foot. And now when you have a lease in place, it might not be that you're able to exit for $500 a square foot, but maybe that lease is still propping up the value to $400 a square foot. And what I would tell you is the nature of net lease still hasn't changed, right? They're still very reliant. These buildings, the value is heavily influenced by macro conditions. So AKA interest rates, who the tenant is behind the lease and how long the lease term you have in place. So those fundamentals haven't changed, right? If you have a 15 year lease or 10 year lease to a tenant today, in three years, you're going to have seven years remaining. And fundamentally that investment is less secure than a 10 year deal. So what that means is that every year that burns off that lease term, the cap rate that an investor needs to receive for the building goes up. And therefore, the price they're willing to pay for that fixed income has to go down, right? And so what I would say is you want to look at net lease as just, you want to look at it fundamentally. Hey, obviously, interest rates have moved. They're probably going to keep going up or probably stay here for, at least from what we're hearing, for a longer period of time. But at the end of the day, if you sold a practice with a 10-year lease, you're still looking at this building being at a point where it's probably at its highest value because you have that long-term 10-year lease in place. And so hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. And to me, a lot of the math behind trying to figure out the value of real estate, yeah, there's big factors, but you can kind of boil it down to the main key things. I know we've talked about it before, but cap rates, can you explain that? Because if I'm selling, obviously I want a lower cap rate, right? Because that means I'm getting paid more. And if I'm buying, I want a higher cap rate because that means I'm technically getting more value for what I'm buying. But yeah, when you think about a cap rate, can you just kind of walk us through that real quick? I know we did it before, but it's been two years and there might be some people listening. Yeah, let's do it. It's good for me too. Cause I'm like, if I was asked point blank, what's cap rate? Like eh, net operating incomes in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You can just pull this up and just play on the clip. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So cap rate is, it's just a fancy way of saying, what is my rate of return? Right? So I'll give you an example. If you invest into a building, And that building is an apartment building and you put a million dollars into that asset. And if every year that building is returning you $100,000 a year, you're receiving a 10% return. That's a 10% cap rate, right? Now, if you have another building and you invest a million dollars into that building, but that building is only returning you $50,000 a year, that's considered a five cap, right? And so the question is, okay, well, why would you invest in building B when building A exists? 
Well, it all comes down to risk, right? The only reason I would ever invest in a building that's returning me 50,000 versus 100,000 is because I feel much safer about my million dollars in building B versus building A, hence why I would accept a lower rate of return, right? So drawing from that, what does that tell you? A cap rate is a reflection of risk, right? How safe is my capital in a piece of property that I invest into, right? And so there's different things that make up that risk profile. Who is the tenant behind the lease? How is the location of the real estate? How long of a lease do I have in place? Do the rental increases go up with inflation or do they not? Those are all things you take into account when you're assessing the risk of an asset. And so as I mentioned earlier, right, these buildings, they're fixed income assets, right? So you have a piece of real estate, it's leased out on a 10-year contract, and there's a set amount of rent that's going to be paid every single year for the period of 10 years, right? And so the investor needs to decide, hey, based off of all of these things, the location, the tenant, the lease term, what rate of return am I willing to receive for this asset, right? And so a big influencer of cap rates is interest rates. And so because interest rates are going up, cap rates across the board are going up, right? And so what you're seeing is people now, buyers, investors, they're looking to achieve higher cap rates on the properties that they're buying. Therefore, the price they're willing to pay is much lower than it was a year or two years ago. And on the flip side, sellers are now having to sell at higher cap rates, right? So if they're having to sell at higher cap rates, that means they're having to sell at lower prices. And so that's what you're seeing kind of unfolding in the market. Just a follow up there on kind of rental income increases, because a lot of people listening might be, hey, they have their tenant and they have a landlord. And I know the answer is going to be it depends, right? But I'm going to still ask it anyways. With those increases, are they typically like it's a flat amount? It's tied to CPI. Is there anything that's typical that you see? And does it change by industry within VetMed? Obviously, we'll focus there. But what does that look like? Because if it's CPI, that could be a healthy increase from year to year. Yeah. And the people that had CPI increases, they benefited and they didn't have any income loss, right? Due to inflation degradation. So that is a good question, actually. There is a standard, if you will, especially in veterinary medicine and healthcare real estate. The standard has always been 2%. And the reason why is because inflation has always averaged over 2%, right? In retail and some of those other products, you've seen 10% rental increases every five years or 7.5% increases every five years. But the norm in healthcare real estate has always been 2% a year. And what you've actually seen because of the rise in inflation, you've actually seen that changing a little bit. So now more and more, what you're seeing in leases, what we're seeing is rental increase structures of 3% a year, right? Or two and a half percent a year. I would say two to 3% is definitely the average. Historically, you see there's plenty of leases out there that call for CPI increases. I think a lot of tenants and their advisors are probably going to advise against that now moving forward. They'll probably say, hey, look, it's going to be the lesser of 2% or CPI. Or it'll be CPI, but with a minimum floor of 2% and a ceiling of 4%, right? So, yeah, generally the thinking was that it should just be in line with where inflation has been historically. Yeah. And I know anyone that's listened to this and heard me talk about inflation, it's such a nasty topic because CPI is dramatically understated for what is inflation. And like we go on a whole tangent on what is inflation, but I'm not going to get us distracted. I'm not going to take the bait. I'm going to stay focused on real estate. (laughs) For those that currently own that are maybe thinking of like, okay, I have this big asset. It still obviously has a bunch of value compared to where it's been, call it five or 10 years ago. What factors do they need to be considering today? And I would imagine a lot of them still are kind of anchoring to those highest points because that's just human nature, right? Like, oh, well, so-and-so sold their real estate for this. So I obviously get the same deal. It's like... (laughs) What would you encourage that practice owner that's thinking about exiting and and trying to figure out what they do with the real estate? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say first is get some advice. And I think many times people think about talking to a real estate broker and then having to go through the process and sell and pay a commission. What I would tell you is on anything in life where you want good advisory, you're going to want to have a good representative or a good outcome. You're going to want to have a good representative, whether that's an accountant, whether that's an investment banker, whether that's a lawyer. And so what I would say is get in contact with a real estate broker that you trust. It doesn't have to be us, but it could be anyone that you know has sold tons of vet real estate, dental real estate, and really have them be honest about what are the red flags of the asset? What are the good things? What are the bad things and what to look out for? Because it's not just generally all about having a macro perspective as well and understanding what's going on in the vet space. It's also about understanding the fundamentals of that specific piece of real estate. Like for example, if you have a vet tenant that's paying $35 a square foot and you know market rent is $20 a square foot, and let's say they're on a three-year lease and maybe there's one doc remaining at the practice, you probably want to start thinking about an exit strategy, right? If God forbid they end up leaving, you're going to have to mark that rental rate to market. When you release it, you're probably going to need to adjust it to near $20 a square foot. And then what happens to the value of the real estate? It gets decimated. Right. So there's things like that you should be aware of. Other things like, hey, look, if I've got a seven year lease to a vet tenant and it's a flat lease, what does that mean? That means my income is not growing. That means inflation is beating up my cash flow every single day, every single year. And so the income that you're receiving today is actually not going to be the income you're receiving in two years, three years, five years. That nominal value is actually going to, or that real value is actually going to be way less. Right. So Having an understanding and having a broker that could just kind of provide a holistic view is, I think, what would be the best step. And there's different nuances to it. Like I said, right, understanding the tenant, understanding the credit profile. How are they doing from a unit level perspective? How does the contracted rental rate compare to market rental rates? Right. All of these things matter. And so just being able to tap on someone and be like, hey, just give me an honest, unemotional assessment of my piece of real estate. And then from there, make the best decision possible for yourself. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They wanna help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. And then for those that are owners, going to be owners, maybe are leasing that want to either build or buy, I mean, is now a good opportunity? Is it going to be better? Does it continue to improve? I know you said you don't have a crystal ball and my joke is always mine's in the shop when people ask me these questions. So (laughs) what do you think for those that are looking to acquire veterinary real estate? What I would say is it all just depends on the entry price. You know, construction costs are still pretty high. And so what I would say is just make sure that you're not buying at inflated rates and not being emotional about just having to buy a building or having to develop your first vet hospital. Maybe see it out, maybe wait a little bit, get some good advice. But again, it just depends on the numbers at the end of the day. What are you projecting? You know, How many doctors do you have partnering up together and going into the practice? What do you think your revenues are going to be? Are you going to be able to, if you turn around and do a sale lease back, or maybe if you're going to go lease a space, are you going to be able to sustain that lease rate based off of the EBITDA that you're clearing every single year? 
So what I would say is just be diligent about it, right? And just be mindful of the fact that you're not overpaying for anything and not jumping the gun. Construction costs, generally speaking, are still pretty elevated. They hopefully are starting to come down now. You are seeing little trends pointing to that direction. But I would say just like anything, just make a mindful and thoughtful decision based off of having as many facts as possible. Yeah. And I've seen recently with a couple clients that are in major metropolitan areas that need new space and need more space, just how expensive or you can go from being extremely profitable to be like, yeah, you're still making good money, but it's not going to be what it was at the old space, right? Because that readjustment for for more space or that better, higher quality location just, but the decision is, oh, well, I can bring another doctor. What is that worth, right? And trying to make best assumptions is super important with the idea of what that real estate can bring. Because yeah. ultimately, if you can grow your business, which is typically a high margin, great cash flowing business that can sustain that, then fantastic. And that will drive practice valuation in the future, which is hopefully going to be a big chunk of, for a lot of these people, what their retirement savings or that kind of work optional bucket looks like into the future. And as long as you focus on the operations, which is what the bread and butter is of a lot of these veterinaries, is just providing great care, running a great practice. The real estate, it shouldn't be an afterthought, but it's a bonus, right? At the end of the day, don't sacrifice the operational integrity of your practice, of your financials, just because you want to own real estate, right? That'll come. And so that would be my advice there is just don't chase. Yep. I think that's wise. And it's really hard. You talked about the emotional decision because people get so wrapped up into, ooh, but this is the perfect location. This hasn't been available and I have to go now. And there's a lot of pressure. And yeah, the environment is a little bit more unclear as far as what happens next. And so trying to make sure that there is a little bit of a room for error in case you get some calculations wrong or the business slows down a little bit. You don't want to say, hey, we hit all-time high revenue in, in 22 and we're just going to grow again by the same amount in 23. And that's how we're going to grow into this space. That can make things tight. Totally. Yeah. I mean, do a stress test, right? If your income goes down by 20%, or if the real estate goes down by 20%, are you still going to be okay? Tap on someone like us or anyone else you trust and be like, hey, look, if I buy this building and eventually when I have a corporate entity buy us out or if I decide to do a sale leaseback, so just stay independent and do a sale leaseback, well, what can you project on an exit price, right? And then you can reverse engineer from there and be like, hey, does this entry price make sense for me, right? But I think the moral of the story is not to beat a dead horse, it's just do your DD and study it as much as possible. Do you see more direct sales, sell lease specs? Has there been anything that's changed since we chatted before that has either surprised you or been like, yeah, this is kind of what I thought it would be over the last two years? In terms of distribution Just between sale lease specs and... Yeah. Have you seen a pickup or a change or an adjustment to kind of the decisions that were made? Let's call it pre-2020 to now. Well, you're definitely just seeing a slowdown in consolidation, but I think that was predicted. I think everyone realized like we were in a bull market, things, there was a frenzy. And so eventually the bell had to ring and things had to stop or at least slow down a little bit. I will say I'm not that surprised. I think generally in healthcare real estate, you see a good amount of sale leasebacks happen, but in specific pockets of healthcare, and I consider animal healthcare to be healthcare, is there's just so much private equity involvement in the space and so much consolidation going on, multi-unit operators taking on funding, going out there, buying the practices left and right. And so for that reason, you haven't seen sale leasebacks be the popular kind of mode of monetization. Mostly it's been step one, build your practice, step two, sell the practice, Step three, sell the real estate that's leased to a larger entity. I do think that in a higher interest rate market where lending requirements are going to tighten up a little bit, where consolidation is going to slow down, I do predict that sale leasebacks are going to become more of a popular method of monetizing real estate. And we've done sale leasebacks in the veterinary space before. They've been very successful. And I think one thing people don't realize too is when you structure a sale leaseback, 
you still have the ability to go sell that practice at any point in time, right? So let's say you own a vet hospital and then you sell that building, sign a long-term lease with that investor, call it 10 years or 15 years. You still have the ability to sell that practice at any given point in time to a creditworthy operator. And so many times anyone who's going to buy you anyways is going to be a regional practice or it's going to be a PE backed aggregator, right? And so it's relatively easy to just at that point, sell the practice and have that person come in and assume that lease, have that entity come in and assume that lease. Because that entity, no matter what, either they're going to sign a brand new lease or they're going to assume a lease. The thing to be mindful of is to structure the lease in a way that's going to be acceptable, right, to that eventual purchaser of the practice. And so we try to do a thorough job there as well, just being like, hey, look, let's analyze your financials, make sure your EBITDA is covering the rental rate that you're projecting in a very healthy way, make sure the lease rate isn't above market. And many times we'll tap on practice brokers or investment bankers too. And just be like, hey, what do you guys think of this based off of everything you're seeing on the opco side? So I think that's one trend. You asked about trends. I think that's one trend that I, that I expect to see over the course of the next 6, 12, 18 months. I don't think in the first episode that we did that I let you ask me a question, but that's something that I started doing in the various different episodes. So as we kind of round out today's conversation, do you have any questions that you want to fire my way? And it can be something that's on topic. It can be something completely different. It can be serious. It can be funny. I've been asked lots of different things. Yeah. Um, anything top of mind? Honestly, man, I love what you put out on the cryptocurrency space. I know we talked about this a little bit. at Yeah. Phoenix. With this debacle at Silicon Valley Bank, Signature, and, and correct me, you're the expert on this, right? But the thesis behind Bitcoin was that it provides a decentralized sort of platform, right? And it kind of puts a lot of the autonomy and the independence and the agency on the Bitcoin holder. And as this SVB thing kind of collapses, you're seeing the US government come in and guaranteeing these deposits. How do you think generally the Bitcoin market or that community is going to react. I think I saw earlier today, Bitcoin broke 24,000 or 26,000. The, the general thinking would be, yeah, as something like this happens, this is the thesis that Bitcoin was guarding against that you're going to see Bitcoin start to raise in value. I'm curious to just get your thoughts and understand your perspective. There's an ongoing joke in kind of the Bitcoin space that all things are good for Bitcoin. And it's kind of true because Bitcoin really doesn't care, right? Bitcoin is going to do what Bitcoin does. But yeah, ultimately, all banks are fractional reserved. And the reserve requirements for banks to hold reserves was moved to 0% in 2020. So they literally have to be backed and hold $0 in reserve. And so every single bank is fragile. JP Morgan is fragile. Citibank is fragile. Bank of America is fragile. SVB is fragile. Signature Bank, Silvergate, all these are fragile, right? And the funds aren't there. But what happens, and this is a big thing that I probably can't articulate it as good as many others because this is just not, I'm not the foremost banking expert, but we have an economy that needs credit creation to keep growing. And what the Federal Reserve has done is they've done, like you talked about, quantitative tightening, which means they're pulling money out of the system, right? So they've pulled about a trillion dollars out of the system, right? And that has, the rivets are popping off, right? You're starting to see stress that's out there. And we don't know who the weakest banks are, who's going to tweet something in the era of social media. It makes this stuff kind of this contagion fear even worse. I think that's why they had to step in and do what they did for a bank that, yeah, it's big, but SVB was 15th biggest bank. Yeah. Yeah. 15 or 16, 200 billion in deposits big, but it should not be systematic to the whole entire US banking system. But it was deemed that by the Treasury, the Federal Reserve. And I think that's very telling, right? And so the idea being that, if I take responsibility for my own money, 
in this thing that I work for. And I can hold it myself and I don't have to have counterparty risk, which means I'm trusting someone else. Yeah, that seems really attractive in a moment where I can't get my money out. And so I think that that whole thesis of having money that's independent of third parties and government and something that's pure math and code and doesn't care who you are and what you do. The other thing that makes me think about it is earlier you're talking about real versus nominal returns as a landlord, right? Pricing your rental rates in dollars in a period where they're going to come and have to fix these rivets popping off, which is going to end up being quantitative easing, which I think that they've kind of kicked that off here recently, right? We're going to see massive stimulus bigger than what happened in COVID, bigger than what happened in 2008, because they have to. I feel confident. I don't need my crystal ball to get back from the shop to know that they're going to devalue (laughs) the dollar. They're going to have to print more money because the system needs it to run. It's like an engine that's leaking oil. They have to put more and more in all the time or it's going to seize up. Fundamentally, that's what's happening. So yeah, the Bitcoin thesis is unchanged. I know that I'm always the person that always critiques it and says it's Bitcoin, not crypto. And I I don't mean to be an a-hole all the time, but it's like there's a very big fundamental difference between VC-backed tokens that were there for a cash grab that will eventually die in the vine versus Bitcoin. That is something that's truly independent, decentralized. No one controls it. And it's a consensus protocol that is global money. And I think the day that Isaiah's in his rocking chair, gray and old and talking to his grandkids, yeah, Bitcoin's global money. And it's like, we get to be along for the ride for that. And I think it's pretty powerful. And if I'm a tenant and thinking about it in the future, I want to price my real estate rates in sats, in Bitcoin, because it protects me from being devalued. Right now, if I'm leasing that, Hell no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Let me pay you in dollars. Yeah, let me pay you in dollars. But I think a forward thinking real estate company, and this will happen, I will predict this and we'll have you back on the show at some point. Within five, I'll say 10 years. Eh, Let's say five for fun because I make predictions that are wrong all the time. (laughs) I think in five years, you'll see a noteworthy real estate company that's going to say, hey, we want to price our buildings and your rates in SaaS. Because yeah, it's volatile. But volatility is only a problem when it's going in the wrong direction, right? Bitcoin being up 20% after SVB fails. No one's complaining that, hey, Bitcoin's too volatile, right? Everyone loves the days where it's up and to the right. But I do think that that helps protect small business owners. It protects investors and it aligns because fundamentally, you have a measuring stick that's unchanged. Because right now, hell, I don't know how much money they're going to create in the next five years. So how do I write a five or 10 year or 15 year lease? To me, that is way too much exposure versus fixing it to something that I know with certainty is 21 million and they can't create more of it. Hmm. That's interesting. The thing I just thought about right now is with the US dollar, at least as it is today, it does provide stability, right? So if I go buy a building for 2 million bucks and I need to get it financed, call it at 60% leverage and I need $1.2 million of debt, how would the bank that would be lending in effectively dollars be able to coexist with a piece of real estate that's being priced out in Bitcoin. Because at the end of the day, these banks are trying to maintain a certain level of debt service coverage ratio, a certain loan to value ratio. And with the volatility of Bitcoin, I guess, how do you stabilize that? I guess the way I look at it is because it's so volatile, that real estate, if it's priced in Bitcoin, it's going to be so volatile. How would that affect the capital stack that's already on the table? I think it changes. It's going to be completely different. There's a really good site. And since we do have video, maybe I'll risk showing this, but I'm going to we'll do it for fun. This will be good. There's a site called Priced in BTC 21, right? And I think this is something that I've shown a number of different people, but let's go to consumer goods and it's not going to show you commercial real estate. But if we go and we look at the price of a house, a median new house in the, in the United States, and we're going to price it in, we'll do it in Bitcoin versus SATs. It'll make it easier. 
and let's do it all time. And let's put it in dollars as well, right? So what this is showing you is if we go back to 2012, right? It was about 44 Bitcoin estimated for a new house. Today, that's going to cost you roughly about 20, where when you look at it in dollar terms, right, that inflation, the increase in the money supply, it pushes that up. And you see that dramatically going up and to the right, where in 2012, it was $221,700. And now it's almost half a million. And so to me, the same thing, right? If you have a fixed unit of account, ultimately, you're able to just save up for something and you won't need to borrow as much for something because it's artificially increasing in value because just the, the units in the new creation is... You just keep printing money. I yeah. see. I see what you're... It's all going to be kind of relative from that standpoint. But yeah, it's going to be different. And I think the idea of existing banks and the existing structure in Bitcoin, there's going to be a long time for it to exist together. But at some point, it does switch and flip. And five years is likely way too soon for that to happen. So people can laugh at me. But that eventually, I think, is where it goes. Because at the end of the day, you're going to ask if I'm going to hold this asset. I want to be paid in something that has true value. And right now, unit of account, medium of exchange is the dollar, without a doubt. And that's unlikely to change in five years. But I think some people will start to think about if I'm going to tie things up long term, how do I have confidence? Because money is a confidence game. And when you see bailouts and things happen and it starts to bring in like how much confidence we have in this. So um, we don't know, like the ripple effects haven't been felt all the way. I think this is the tremor, not the earthquake from that standpoint. So there's probably more fun to be had depending on how you want to define fun, but there'll be (laughs) more interesting things to follow along with. But I look at real estate as something that ultimately at the end of the day, you need somewhere for your hospital to practice. It doesn't matter what the, the unit of account is for that, but you ultimately need a building to live in to go buy stuff that you need for life and to operate your business. And regardless of whether we're on a dollar standard, Bitcoin standard, you're gonna need those things. The pricing, all that, it's gonna change, but the real estate is gonna be there. So I think it's still a valuable asset. It's all about like what you talked about, the price that you pay, right? Yeah. So you wanna look at it from a price perspective and are you getting value for it? Yeah, totally. Way too long-winded of an answer no, <laughs> for I, a simple I question. I think it's always cool just hearing, and I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about Bitcoin. So it's always cool and fun to learn about. And, hear it from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. So, well, again, who knows if I know what I'm talking about, right? Like I can just be completely pulling stuff out of the air. I try to consume content that makes me better informed and think about things in a longer time horizon, the same way that most investors think about things. Like you want to think about it in big waves into the future. And I think one of the big waves and one of the big things is just the adoption of money. It's not going to necessarily be in the United States, right? Because like you talked about, we have a good, for the most part, the best currency in the world. And we've been blessed with that opportunity. But there's a lot of other places around the world that will adopt it first. Yeah. So we'll see it continue. Yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. All right. So outside of Bitcoin, talking about real estate, when people are curious, have questions, want to connect with you, learn more, where would you send them? Where's the best handoff for them to reach out to you? Yeah. I mean, you could reach out to me directly. I'm actually on Twitter now too. My handle is real estate Rahul. So real estate and my name is spelled R-A-H-U-L. I'm on LinkedIn as well. And then you can always email me too. That's rahul.chajad at matthews.com. So yeah, any questions you have about vet real estate, healthcare real estate, or just real estate in general, reach out to me and we connect. Perfect. I'll have all that in the show notes. People can find it. As always, I appreciate it. We'll have to have you back with getting more updates. Yeah, this is always fun, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. 
It's an appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to t- find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time on paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, a 24 hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits, again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on not podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? 
but I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veteran success podcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.